This non-accredited EHIV Review Special Edition podcast is presented by DKP Med Radio. Nurses. For many patients with HIV, nurses are their go-to people for managing their continuing therapy. Nurses are also an important and a growing part of our audience. And nurses are the focus of today's program. Welcome to this special edition of EHIV Review. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of the program. And please note, this podcast is not accredited and does not provide continuing education credit. Now it's time to talk about two very special nurses. Justin Alves is a clinical nurse educator at Boston Medical Center's OBAT-TTA, the largest safety net hospital in New England. He's dedicated his career to caring for patients living with HIV-AIDS and is an AIDS-certified registered nurse, as well as a certified addictions registered nurse. And he's been a program director for EHIV Review for our past three volumes, continuing now into Volume 7. Tina Vincent is a registered nurse working as a team leader at a Level 1 trauma center. She's also the host of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, a popular podcast that educates, entertains, and encourages nurses and other medical professionals. Recently, Justin Alves and Tina Vincent got together on a Good Nurse, Bad Nurse program to talk about the story of Mary McGee, the first medical provider in the U.S. to accidentally contract an HIV infection from a patient. And now her story with EHIV program director Justin Alves and Good Nurse, Bad Nurse host Tina Vincent. Our good nurse story is about Mary McGee and Justin. You sent me the story, and I, I was so fascinated by this whole thing. There's an, a whole documentary that's done around this award that we're going to talk about, and what a fascinating documentary and just an amazing person that Mary McGee is. So in 1993, plus a super easy name for you to say, Tina. Right. Mary Thank McGee, you. super easy. Exactly. I, I try to keep She's it simple. She's a good nurse. But... <laughs> good, good nurses always have easy names. <laughs> so I shouldn't say that. My name is terrible. So anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in 1983, she was 24. She was 24 years old. She moved from a small town in New York where she had grown up all the way to San Francisco. She had apparently seen a media buzz around the groundbreaking work in San Francisco at the hospital there that San Francisco General Hospital was doing amidst the AIDS crisis that was going on at the time. And she wanted to be a part of it. I think that this woman is amazing. The hospital opened a dedicated ward for HIV positive patients known as 5B and Mary began working there. So there were actually a lot of nurses and, and other healthcare professionals who refused to be near these patients. They did not want to care for these patients. So this is sounding eerily familiar to COVID patients that I'm taking care of right now. There are many people working in hospitals who will just flat out refuse to go into these rooms and somehow they're able to still have a job, but I digress. What do you think about this? Should someone working in a hospital caring for sick patients be allowed to say no to certain patients out of fear? Yeah, obviously, I'm in a certain camp, right? Like, based on the work that I choose to do, right? But I, I do mm-hmm. think one thing that, as we're sort of laying this out, Mary McGee, like, ran into the burning building, right? And I think many young nurses, like, we saw lots of states change their laws about nursing students and did you take your boards yet or not? I don't care. Get on the ward. We need help. And I think many nurses can relate to this feeling. We're in a healthcare crisis and we need as many hands on deck as possible. And 
it's funny to see how certain people run into the fire and certain people are afraid and run away. And so I try not to put too much like, I can't believe you won't take care of these patients because I get it, right? Like if you're like a mom with little kids at home who can't be vaccinated, like on some level, I get why you wouldn't want to take care of somebody who's potentially infectious, right? I, I do understand the fear, but I think we have to do more education to get people less afraid. Yeah, absolutely. I I just wonder, you know, when I'm caring for these patients and I am having to gown up and put on all the PPE and go into these rooms multiple times, you know, several times an hour for 12 hours, three days a week. And then I have phlebotomist who comes along and says, no, you have to draw the labs because I can't go in there. We, we don't go in there. Like none of them. <laughs> it just, it's, you know, you just kind of wonder like, well, is my life somehow not as important? Like what, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to understand. Well, and you know, I also have done tuberculosis work. I was like the Ebola nurse for a little bit. Like I dealt with all these things and you do feel some kind of way about it. Right. Like if you really sit down and think about it, like, why am I the expendable one? here? <laughs> why am I? <laughs> but I've always, I guess a part of me has always done back to like, this person really needs my help. And mm-hmm. I actually would rather it be me than this person who doesn't want to be in there. Because I do think that some, some nurses, some healthcare providers do damage when they let that stigma, that fear sort of inch into the patient care realm. Like if it's an opt-in thing, like I love my patients, right? And my patients love me and love my interactions with them. If you really hate being in that room, the patient is going to know you don't want to be there. You're exactly right. And I definitely see where you're going with this because I just recently was caring for a patient who a part of COVID is one of the things that can happen to these patients is diarrhea. And so it was literally every single hour going in there and helping her. And it wasn't just getting up to the bedside commit. It was like, it would be everywhere and cleaning it up. And of course I'm in all the PPE and it's just exhausting. It's hot. It's so miserable. And at, at the end of the shift, she just looked up at me. She was so sweet. And she said, I bet you're so you're going to be so glad to get to go home. And I said, no, ma'am, I love my job. I love being here and I love taking care of you. I'm, I'm not looking forward to going home at all. And I, I want to be with my family, but trust me, I want to be here. And she smiled so big. And I was just like, oh my gosh, uh, it's just, but, yeah. <laughs> that's why I do what I do. I love that so much. I love that I had the ability to make her feel better about that situation. Yeah, exactly. And I do think there is something to the opt-in. I, do, I don't think people should be able to opt out. I think if you're in it to win it, like if you're here to be a good nurse, then I think you should figure it out on your own. Yeah, so I think that it makes it really hard on all of us if we have people on our team that are saying, I'm not going to do that. I think we need a, you know, a whole team of people. I don't know. Are they there? I don't know if that's even possible, but it's definitely better. We can take better care of people if we have the whole team because I can't do it all. I just, you know, we, we try, we do the best we can, but I'm not going to be able to take as good a care of a patient if I'm having to do absolutely everything. If I'm taking out the garbage and I'm, you know, I'm the, the, the housekeeper, I'm the CNA, I'm the, the phlebotomist. I'm literally every single person that would otherwise be going in that room that I can't care for everyone as well. And I think you're going to talk about this a little bit, but on 5B, the word that you worked on, you weren't just all the members of this house staff. You were also like these people's family because they didn't have a mom. They didn't have a dad. They were often disowned. And so you, it was this combination of you were everything. You were the Swiss army knife, right? Like you had to do a little bit of everything and be, you had to get it done. 
and you know, I think that's what makes you know Mary and a lot of those nurses really heroes in many ways. It really does because what happened is it was open because there were healthcare workers, mostly nurses, that petitioned for a separate AIDS wards, AIDS ward at San Francisco General Hospital because they had seen patients being treated inhumanely, like what you were describing there, that someone who didn't want to be there, but maybe were being forced to go in there, maybe that person would not tr- treat that patient the way that they should. And so because of that, they wanted a safe space for these patients to be able to live and, and unfortunately die, you know, with dignity. So the ward absolutely revolutionized care and for these patients and their families and partners included could have unrestricted access. Parties were regularly thrown and doctors and nurses didn't wear the spacesuit PPE that had become normal despite no known viral transmission through the air had actually occurred. I mean, they didn't have any reason to believe this was an airborne virus, but people were just being, you know, ridiculous about it. Well, and I mean, some of that still persists today, right? Like the nurse says, put on gloves, he has HIV. And you're like, I'm not going to have sex with him. I'm going to take his blood pressure. And the sad thing about this is if you're a nurse, you should have taken microbiology and should that shouldn't even be a problem, right. but... Many medical professionals believed that those who worked on the ward would eventually contract HIV and AIDS and die because they just didn't know about it. I guess there were a lot of naysayers or a lot of people who questioned the, quote, evidence, you know, that was there and just didn't trust it. So they were just afraid and just just didn't want to have anything to do with it at all. So Mary was the youngest nurse on this ward. She made the statement that she was allowed to love her patients on the 5B documentary where she was interviewed. To her, that meant utilizing the human element that a lot of times she was discouraged from using as a nurse. So I think sometimes in our day-to-day nursing, just caring for regular patients, sometimes there's a disconnect there that we are even encouraged to do. Like what Mary was saying was sometimes just being a nurse, it's like, you know, keep that professional wall up between you and the patient. And I think what she's saying is that she didn't have to do that as much with these people because she wanted to connect with them. She didn't want them to feel like they were alone. She said, we could not fix people's disease with AIDS. We couldn't cure them. There was really this emphasis on decreasing suffering. You used every tool you had, including the human person. There were people who didn't have their families. They had experienced a lot of discrimination. There was tons of fear mongering and stigma in the press. And so one of the tools you used was your own human presence and heart. When somebody is dying, you pull out a few stops that you may not if you're working in an ambulatory surgery department. You let yourself cry with people and be human with people and their loved ones. And that's that was a direct quote from her from that interview that I thought was just so touching. She's just such a, a precious person. So one of the things that happened, and of course, I know everything that we've said up to this point has been like, you know, you're crazy if you're worried about working with these people and then what I'm about to say. But this could happen literally the thing is, it could happen with anything, right? So there's always a risk involved when you're caring for people. She did accidentally stick herself with a patient's needle when she was changing out their IV line. And so apparently she was a, about an hour away from finishing a 12-hour shift. She was on nights. She was tired and stabbed the, the used needle through an IV bag and into her hand. So six weeks later, she tested positive for HIV. And at the time, there were only a handful of known cases. So 
over the next decade, she fought along with the nurses union to get safer needles in hospitals. So during all of that, she maintained two identities, Mary McGee, the advocate, and Jane Doe, the first medical staff with HIV. She obviously, Justin, such a, a brave person for everything that she did, but you know, to continue to fight and advocate after this happened just really illuminates her character and strength. And I just love that she went after the hospitals and, and administration for better safety measures. By the way, have you ever been stuck by a dirty needle? Yeah. Yes. I think every nurse has been stuck by a needle. I like when I started, we used to make jokes that that was like a rite of passage, right? But I think we're much less scared now, right? Because we know we have things like post-exposure prophylaxis. We have things like PrEP that like I was on when I had my first needle stick. One of the things about the story that is so fascinating to me is that I didn't know who Mary Mickey was until probably like five to 10 years ago because she didn't come out. She was Jane Doe. And so there was this woman who really didn't want the ward to get closed down because of her needle stick. That is what I think is so powerful about the story is as someone who contracted the virus and then had to live with that stigma, she knew it that meant she didn't want it to affect the patients that she loved, right? Like I think that's like the the most fascinating sort of in the gut kind of part of the story, right? Yeah. She's such a selfless person because she definitely looked at that and just went, oh, well, if this gets out, it's just going to feed into that fear and that stigma. Right. And she did everything that she could to prevent that, which I think is just amazing. She remained a nurse working in the AIDS ward for a few more years before she transferred to labor and delivery. So by the early 90s, antiretrovirals were available, and she fortunately survived long enough to have access to them and then began working at the Empress Hotel for people living with HIV and AIDS. She literally spent her whole life doing this. This was her life work. I think it's just wonderful. It's amazing. It's, it just really does tell how much of a, an amazing person, a selfless person, and a courageous person that she really was. In 2011, she did publicly announce her status for the first time. A couple of decades, you know, had passed, and I think that she felt like she could use it to help educate people. I think that people realized as time went on that this is a disease that affects a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, and that it's important to try to prevent infection and then also try to find a cure. You know, those are the two things. It's not to try to stigmatize an entire population of people. I just love that about her. Yeah, I mean, she's like literally one of those great equalizer people, right? Like she is like, you're a nurse. Like she doesn't fit the demographics that we talk about all the time. She's still very open about it. And I think that that's what's really powerful is that it, it makes it real for people who otherwise don't think they have any risk, right? It could never be me is so often what we hear. And I think Mary sort of tells us, well, it could be you and it could be you. Like it could be your mom, your cousin, your auntie. And, you know, our job is to take care of people no matter what's going on. Absolutely. Um, in an interview with Yahoo in 2019, she said that she hopes the younger generation is inspired to stand up for people based on the stories of 5B. She explains that AIDS and homophobia are still very present in our modern society and it's important to make good choices. During every opportunity she has had to speak about her experience, she has continued to raise awareness for HIV, reminding people that it's still out there and that there is still no cure. She also talks about the continued stigma and homophobia that often accompany a diagnosis. Even just the past couple of years, I feel like we've made 
a lot of progress in this area, a lot of progress. You know, I think we've made huge strides. I think things like PrEP and things like knowing that undetectable is untransmittable are huge. And Mm -hmm. we actually do have a lot of tools to really curb this epidemic. It's like when we got the vaccine for COVID and we're like, oh my God, we can stop it, right? We have that kind of hope. And now it's the same thing with like the COVID vaccine. We're like, okay, but are people going to do what we need them to do? (laughs) Are we going to be able to get vaccines and shots in arms? Are we going to be able to get people on PrEP and taking their HIV medicines? Because that really is the next hurdle to overcome here. Yes. And it does amaze me that there are so many people who would rather risk being infected and making someone else sick or just continuing with this pandemic. But I understand that people are afraid. I understand it. It's just that to not be afraid of the disease is what I don't understand because it seems like there's people, there are so many people that are afraid of the vaccine and not at all afraid of the disease. I don't understand that whatsoever. I can understand fear that I I get. I don't understand like going out in large crowds and not wearing masks and just doing all these crazy things. But then being afraid of a vaccine, like, and maybe even what, let's say, vaping or smoking and all of the other things that they put in their bodies. And then, but they're afraid of a vaccine that's literally been proven. I think it goes back to the bad doctor story, though, where I said, like, we're really bad marketers. Like, we have some very smart science people who are really bad at talking to people, right? And I think, like, nurses are so good at talking to people. That's, like, what we do, right? Like, we explain what your doctor just said to you for an hour because... You didn't understand it. And so I think that really is where us as nurses have to do a little bit of a better job to say, like, did you know U equals U? Did you know that was a thing? Did you know PrEP is here? Did you know I took the vaccine and here's my reasons why? Because I think if, if nurses don't do that, nobody else is going to. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point, Justin. Well, this has been a really excellent show. I've really enjoyed this. It's been very informative and very interesting, and I love all the conversation. Can you tell everyone where they can find information on DKB Med? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to dkbmed.com. There's HIV stuff, but there's also other stuff. So if you're looking at other health conditions, if you're like, I'm not an HIV nurse, but maybe I want to learn about multiple sclerosis, like there's something for you. So take a peek, see what sort of strikes your fancy. And you guys know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com, and you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. Find us on Instagram at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse or Facebook and Twitter, very minimally at GNP and Podcast. You guys know I love hearing from you. So send me your messages and your emails. And, and I'd also like to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Love that. Thanks for having me, dear. We hope you enjoyed this non-accredited podcast. Our thanks to EHIV Review Program Director Justin Alves from Boston Medical Center and to Nurse Tina Vincent, host of the Good Nurse, Bad Nurse podcast. And a reminder, if you're not yet an EHIV Review subscriber, please consider joining us. There are no fees involved, either for receiving our accredited programs or for obtaining your CME or CE credits. Or if you're listening to us on iTunes or whichever podcast provider you use, please like us. The more listeners we have, the more programs we can provide. Thank you for listening. For EHIV Review, I'm Bob Busker. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. EHIV Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC.